Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happened in history. I am your host once again this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Bonjour! Bonjour! Yes, of course, because we are back for Josephine Baker! Josephine Baker, vive la France! Indeed, part two of uh, our Josephine Baker story, Mm -hmm. where we started off with her incredibly tragic childhood yeah jesus and then on to her early career as a dancer before moving to france and finding sort of real success there mm-hmm. so now that you're basically up to speed yep <laughs> when we left her last time she had been approached by jacques abti the head of the french intelligence uh at the outbreak of the second world war mm-hmm. and she was well she went to the maginot line amazing uh to entertain the troops should we explain what the Maginot Line is, or will everyone know this from GCSE history? Um, well, not everyone did GCSE history, That's so very maybe true. you should explain it. Um, so, effectively, the French had some inkling that Germany might try and um, might try and attack at some point. So they set up what is called the Maginot Line, which is basically a line of defences between France and Germany. Yeah, it did not work. No, obviously it did not. <laughs> But it was, you know, bold idea. So Bold idea. I think the problem is like they went through Belgium or something, so yeah. they completely bypassed it. But never mind. Absolutely. So Josephine Baker has been recruited into the uh, intelligence service. Nice. And what she did was she used her fame and influence to get invited to parties. Amazing. This is very James Bond. Yes. While she was at these parties, she would mingle with the various guests. Okay. And the thing is, the sort of parties she got invited to were generally by her fans. Mm. And her fans included the Italian and the Japanese ambassadors. Oh my god. In their respective embassies. The Japanese ambassador during World War II. Yes. <laughs> What's up with these Japanese ambassadors? So she would go around at these parties making small talk, but also also be gathering information. Perfect. And okay. she found out quite a lot of stuff. Uh, she found out mostly about troop locations, mm-hmm. which obviously incredibly important at yeah. this point. Oh, I've just realised she would probably have been quite flattering to the Italian ambassador because she was totally in support of the idea of invading Ethiopia. Yes, absolutely. That actually uh, comes up later as well. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, she could also travel a lot more freely than everyone else because while war has broken out she basically has an entertainer's visa right so it gives her more leeway to actually go to different places mm-hmm. so she's mobile she can get these secrets she is a fantastic spy yeah and she continues this for some time until about the point it looks like Germany is about to roll into France. Yeah, I'd be worried if I was her and Germany is about to roll into France. Yeah. She's not representative of what the Nazi party was into. Yeah, and not only that, her husband at the time, Jean-Léon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot about Jean-Léon. Yep. He was Jewish. Oh, shit, yep. son. And came oh, from no. a Jewish family. Oh, no. Okay. So at the point that Germany looks like it's going to come into France, he goes you know what, maybe we should leave. Yeah. And by we, he kind of means him and his family. Okay. Not really Josephine. Okay. Um, I don't know the precise details around this. It could be some exaggeration. 
It seems a bit mysterious, and I couldn't find a definitive source, but it looks like he had acquired visas for his family mm-hmm. and one for himself. Okay. And maybe thought that, you know, Josephine would be fine to just travel as she was. I mean, it could be. It, it seems a bit suspicious, but then at the same time, we haven't really heard much about Josephine's marriages. No. This is her third one so far. This is her third one, The yeah. first one, we can't blame her at all for getting out of that no. one because that was a child marriage. Yeah. Um, the second one, I don't know. And then, and then she <laughs> married Jean-Léon and she seems to be traveling about a lot like i'm not going to make any assumptions about her marriages but maybe they weren't that close i don't think so the first three marriages were particularly short um Mm -hmm. because spoilers there is a fourth marriage on her horizon fantastic because basically as a result of this rift between them they end up divorcing okay uh jean leon goes off with his family hopefully to safety i'm not entirely sure oh fingers crossed for jean leon also good move right there like Mm. i i often teach students who don't quite get the like the idea of why certain people wouldn't flee in these situations yeah but it must take an awful lot to make yourself into a refugee especially when it hasn't happened yet yeah and especially when you are especially if you're someone like a Jewish person who's not really welcome most places. Very true. There was, like, I have heard that there was a lot of anti-Semitism in England. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, like, crack up to England as a refugee from the Nazis and be like, I think this is going to be better, maybe. Yeah, so I kind of can't blame him. There's another suggestion that she might have been angry because he kind of used her name and influence in order to get these visas without her knowing. Right. So it could be a betrayal of trust. I don't know. Who knows? All right. But but they get a divorce. They get a divorce either way. And And hopefully Jean-Leon is safe. Hopefully so. Uh, By August 1940, though, it is now too dangerous for Josephine to stay in France Mm. because the Nazis have come in and they have banned black and Jewish performers. Great, yep. So obviously, you know, she can't do what she does. No. And she can't even do her spying anymore either. No. She had some protection because she was still friends with the Italian and the Japanese (laughs) ambassadors. Yeah. So obviously they kind of went, hey leave this one alone yeah Um, but that's still not a situation you want to be in because you don't know how long that alliance is gonna last absolutely so in order to uh basically make use of her and sort of get her to safety Mm -hmm. uh the plan was for her and jack abti to escape from france and go to portugal via north africa okay i'm just gonna Casablanca? Yes. Hey! Yes. Okay. Um, so they manage to get out of France. Mm-hmm. They go to Casablanca. Oh, that's so cool. She manages to secure herself a Portuguese visa, mm-hmm. but Jacques cannot get one for himself. Oh, no. So he's forced to go back to France, leaving her basically to fend for herself. Right. Okay. Fortunately, she's a very resourceful woman who mm-hmm. has who knows a great many people. So she goes on from Casablanca to Tangiers, Mm -hmm. and there she meets a friend of hers. Oh, yeah? Because she had been there before filming uh, Princess Tam Tam. Oh, my God. Yeah, This is the problem. Like, all of the stuff she does. I know. Like, 
I know, I know, because, yeah, but all the stuff she does, we don't want to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But this friend of hers was the Chamberlain to the Caliph. What? Yeah. Of Tangiers? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) as a result, she was able to arrange safe passage through the entirety of North Africa. Wow. All right. So that she could then go from from there to Lisbon. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Up through the Strait of Gibraltar, all that kind of deal. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, when she arrived in Lisbon, she started... Uh, performing again. Mm-hmm. I think she was doing some performing in Africa as well. Okay. Um, but and she... they were like, but woman, you're hardly exotic. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're North Africa, it's slightly exotic. You're not as exotic as we want you to be. I mean, I suppose, but you know, <laughs> she's talented. I know she's talented. <laughs> um, I don't mean to riff on her. Yeah. Um, but when she gets into Lisbon, she starts doing these performances and also meeting with French spies mm-hmm. to hand over her sheet music. You want to know why? I Okay. Either it's going to be stupid or it's going to be amazing. So let's hope it's amazing. Let's go. During her time in France before she was fleeing mm-hmm. and while she was going around North Africa gathering information, she was writing it all down in invisible ink <gasps> on her sheet music. Oh my God. Yes. So she managed to get more smuggle information out of France and to Portugal to the hands of the French resistance. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing. That's so good. There is this legend, and I'm pretty sure it's not true, that she also um, kept sheets of information in her underwear, Mm. basically thinking that she was a celebrity and so wouldn't be strip searched if caught by Nazis. But I don't think it's true. I, yeah, that's weird. Although, yeah. if I was her, I would have rolled it up and stuck it in the bananas. Oh, that's such a good idea. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. <laughs> but no, invisible ink is damn cool. And it's such a World War II thing to do as well. Absolutely. So when she is in Portugal, uh, she rejoins with Jacques Abti. Yay, he made it. Yep. And they continue their work with the resistance while she continues doing that and doing some performing as well. Cool. She's a very busy woman. Yeah. And Lisbon's a really nice place as well. Yeah. Highly recommend. And it seems she must have enjoyed it there because while she was there, she became pregnant. (gasps) And this was actually quite a shock because previously doctors had told her that she would be unable to uh, have a child. Oh, okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were kind of right because uh, she miscarries okay. and becomes incredibly ill. I've mm. read a couple of different versions, either that she had peritonitis or that she had to have a hysterectomy. Oof. Okay. But either way, she's laid up in hospital for 18 months. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's okay. pretty bad. That's hideous. Uh, at this point, I think she was back in Casablanca because she'd done some more traveling around North Africa. Okay. Uh, it's hard to tell. <laughs> right. It's, like, she's just all over the place. I mean, pretty much. There's a lot of there's a lot of moments where it's like, and then she just jams about this huge area of land. It seems really hard to keep track of people during World War Two. I yeah. mean, look at was it Mad Jack? Yes, absolutely. Um, we couldn't keep track of him either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in the army. I think people <laughs> wouldn't know where he was. Yeah. So while she's laid up for eighteen months, a lot of rumors start flying around that she's died. Okay. Um. But basically, she rec- she makes a full recovery. Mm-hmm. She comes out and is basically like, hey, I'm alive. 
And Charles de Gaulle, as a result, uh, gives her the rank of lieutenant in, what? The, in the Free French Army. <laughs> okay. Sorry, because she's alive or because people were so worried about her and like they make a big deal of it. So the thing was that in this intervening time, she had become a huge name in the Free French movement. Right. Um, she started to be used kind of in their propaganda. Okay. Uh, and something that she actually continued with after she recovered and was out of hospital. Uh, okay. At which point Casablanca was, I believe, in the Allies' hands. Mm. Um, so... She was given the rank of lieutenant. She had a proper military dress uniform. Nice. And was featured in posters and would do appearances in places to basically bolster the morale of the French resistance fighters. (laughs) Okay. And this was much of her role for the rest of the war. Mm. Um, She didn't do so much of the spying anymore, although I'm sure there were probably some occasions when, you know, she probably did some. Yeah. But at this point, she is also a lot more famous as a figurehead of the French resistance. Yeah, you're not going to let secrets slip so much around somebody who's like got posters everywhere. Absolutely. Basically, Captain America in the beginning half of that film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I really hope she had a theme song. Oh, I hope she did. She probably did. She probably to be did. Fair. She, she probably made her own. Yeah. Or someone wrote some fantastic operatic theme tune for her. Amazing. As a reward for her efforts in the war, once it was over, uh, Charles de Gaulle gave her the uh, Croix de Guerre, the War Cross. Okay. The Rosette de la Resistance. <laughs> And later, she was also given the Légion d'Honneur. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So she was... She is decorated. She is decorated as hell. The French really like her. Awesome. (laughs) Vive la Josephine. Indeed. So moving out of the war and out of her time as a spy, Mm -hmm. uh, we go on to 1947, where she marries her fourth and final husband. Okay. She does divorce him. (laughs) Okay. But compared to the others, this is a hugely successful marriage. Okay, great. I mean, great. this one lasts, lasts 14 years. Okay, which, so longer than the average marriage. Longer than the average marriage, and I think more than three times as long as her third marriage, which was previously her longest. Okay. So... Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. She marries a French composer, uh, conductor, and band leader by the name of Joe Bouillon. <laughs> No, he wasn't. Yeah, apparently he was. <laughs> Why do- Okay. Her third husband was okay. Everyone else has a really stupid name. <laughs> what, you mean Jean-Leon? Jean-Leon is okay. <laughs> is it? It sounds yeah. funny. Jean-Leon sounds funny, but it's like funny in a kind of like vaguely French way. Like bouillon. Yes. Like the soup. Yes. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Could be a stage name. I don't know. Like she's got two willies and a soup. <laughs> Together they make French onion soup. Uh, mm. <laughs> don't know that doesn't make any no, sense. I, I meant her and him, not the uh. willies. <laughs> it didn't work, all right? Oh, it was great though. <laughs> so uh, just to kind of... I've just realised she's a baker and he's soup. There we go. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah. Dunk her in him. Uh, <laughs> Wrong way around, but sure. <laughs> well, you don't dunk soup in bread. Yes, but you don't dunk women in men either. 
this is going weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, it's been a long day. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. So just to kind of like skip ahead a bit, just to talk about their marriage, because the thing is, Josephine and her husbands they don't seem to really be that important in her life, to yeah, be honest. I got that impression. Yeah. The I, I can't I, I couldn't really find an exact reason why they divorced. I think they might have just grown apart. It might have been because with Joe Bouillon they started adopting children. Okay. She's such a Madonna. Yeah, she really is. She ended up... uh, They divorced uh, just after they had adopted their 11th child. Oh, my God. A group of children that she referred to as the Rainbow Tribe. Because she was adopting children of of different races, creeds, and nationalities. But not sexual orientations. It seems that one of her children was basically cast out when he came out to her as gay. Super harsh woman. I thought you were bisexual. <laughs> I mean, yes. It's one of those things where yeah, it's like... You, society. You, yeah, and you want you want people to be better than they were, mm. especially when they, they do awesome things. But, you know, not, yeah, not I know. everyone in the history is going to be perfect if they... Uh, if also, that kid is pretty brave. Like, yeah. I'm assuming he came out in the 1940s, 1950s. Uh, this would probably be yeah, 50s, 60s, something like yeah. that. That's super brave. I mean, absolutely. It was still a mental illness in this country. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so that's enough for the Rainbow Tribe at the moment okay. and her marriage to Mr. Soup. And we'll go back... <laughs> We'll go back to her life as a performer because she can start performing properly again and not be, you know, a performer slash spy. As cool as that is, I'm sure if your main love is dancing and entertaining, being a spy is just something you did out of necessity and out of, you know, your patriotism for your adopted country. Of course. And also, it must be cool to have been a spy and then be able to sit back and be like, yes, I did it. And I was not caught. And... Everything went fine. Yeah, pretty much. Whereas, like, at the time, it must be a little bit nerve-wracking. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It would be insane. I'm also assuming she got to go back to France at this point, and that Joe Bouillon is French. He is French, I I made an assumption from his name. Yeah. I realise he he could have been a naturalised Portuguese person. I suppose so, but no, she definitely wanted to go back to France. It's absolutely seems to be her favourite place, and she loves Paris. So she goes back there and starts performing on stage in 1949. Okay. Now, the thing is that at this point, Paris had undergone some severe changes. Yeah. Because of the war. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the things that had happened was while the Nazis had occupied Paris, the kind of tastes of the nightlife had changed. Okay. So under Nazi-occupied Paris, the shows that previously had been, you know, a little bit erotic were now full-on raunch. Oh, okay. And... The brothels had hugely expanded. Do you know I can see how that would have happened? Because the Nazis were always very, like, clean cuts and very, like, family values Mm. and nothing can be smutty. So I guess that means that anything that's, like, slightly smutty goes, okay, we're going all the way. And everyone who wants to avoid, like, everyone who wants to have something smutty in their lives goes all the way as well. Yeah. It seems like it was basically designed to keep the soldiers entertained oh right yeah yeah it's pretty grim that is grim yeah and as a result after the war there was a backlash against this sort of performance and suddenly paris wanted to be classy and sophisticated and they weren't into banana dancers anymore no but the thing was 
Fortunately, as we know, Josephine had also been adapting her stuff and becoming more sophisticated. Oh, true. She did the opera that had been written for her and had like proper training. So Mm. she was now a more classical singer. So she's kind of like, fantastic. This is great. Yeah. Because at this point, she's 43 years old and she's a war hero. Yeah. I guess she doesn't want to be doing the banana dance anymore. No, probably not. And I feel you get that thing where you imagine audiences are not going to go for it as much. Yeah. So while she's uh, at a new height in her fame, possibly more popular than she was before the war. Oh, wow. What with, you know, war hero status as well. She decides she's going to give America another shot. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I'm over Ethiopia right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she goes back to America to basically do a tour. Mm Mm-hmm. Now she starts encountering some problems. Yeah. 36 different hotels refuse to let her stay there because she's black. Yeah. Now, at some point earlier in her career, it seems like she might have sort of let that slide and just gone racist, but you know, Mm. we'll find someone who isn't racist. But at this point, she kind of sees what those little racisms can lead to yeah having seen the nazis yeah so she's kind of like no i am not putting up with this at all so she decides that she's just gonna leave and go back to france (laughs) okay good for her (laughs) i mean this whole the whole thing like especially like like just after world war ii like in the couple of decades after that Mm. i think there is kind of a big deal like race becomes a big deal in America. And it's partly because there were so many returning black soldiers and Truman had integrated the troops. Yeah. So that meant that there were a lot of, especially men who were used to being more or less equals alongside white soldiers. Yeah. And then they come back and they expect to still have that kind of treatment because they should be war heroes. Yeah. But everyone who's taken their jobs in the meantime are not happy about it so Mm. there's a lot of backlash at that point yeah so i could imagine that maybe even the number of hotels that are like whites only might have gone up like as a response to that kind of thing it does seem like it because the thing is she does later on in fact not long after this she does go back to america again Mm. this time she decides to do sort of combined performing slash visiting tour okay And it's also at this point that sort of the early parts of the civil rights movement is starting out and she's following it. Yeah. So she decides that she's going to go back to America in 1951. Mm -hmm. um, And she's going to do this as kind of a political statement as much as it is, you know, to make money. Yeah. It seems like Josephine Baker, despite being hugely successful often had money troubles okay, and often needed help with it in some way or another. Mm. So I imagine part of it is, you know, needing money, but also she was definitely making a political statement. Oh, sure. I mean, otherwise she could have stayed in France. And like, I'm sure like needing money is a thing, but having to spend all that money to go over to the US. Oh, absolutely. It's a big big investment. And also the demands she put on the tour as well. Yeah. Because she refused to play for any building that was not fully integrated. Oh my God. And that's not only audience, but staff as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And actually she was was so firm in this uh, belief that it meant that she didn't play some of the 
old venues she used to play at in Harlem mm. because they were for only black people. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. I guess the idea is that... She believes in, like, a complete equality. Yeah. But I, I guess it's also that, like, a, a black-only establishment is kind of as a result of, you know... Oh, sure. ...segregation like, and that. Like, I 100% so, see why yeah. those establishments would have been created. It's a bit like having female-only yeah. spaces. But if you want, like... I can kind of see both sides of it a lot. But I can imagine mm. if she's going, I want this complete integration that i'm used to in europe yeah then going to a black only place like i wouldn't have to i wouldn't want to have to justify that no you know like i could imagine that's a faff yeah and the thing is these these sorts of demands start shifting some public opinion against her okay because she's very outspoken to the point where a nightclub owner Mm. at a place she was at made a racist remark she performed a citizen's arrest on him. Oh, wow, okay. And summoned the police. And eventually he was fined $100. Whoa. Yeah. Was it was it illegal to make this racist remark? I don't remark? know. I couldn't find more information <laughs> about this. But it's just, it's amazing. Were the police just like, oh, well, it's Josephine Baker saying it. And she was very certain about what she wanted. <laughs> yeah. So she is very vocal mm. uh, to the point where the NAACP actually declare her woman of the year oh wow awesome yeah she also uh, got involved at this point in the Save Willie McGee march oh not another Willie <laughs> <laughs> well okay so this one is this is more grim uh, yeah I, I expected it would be yeah I wanted to make a light hearted joke before That's we got into fair. it yeah um, so she actually <laughs> She actually um, didn't attend the NAACP ceremony. Okay. Because she went to speak at this rally. Oh my God, that's cool. Yeah. Willie McGee was a black man in Mississippi who had been convicted of raping a white woman in 1945. Uh, yep. The evidence was dubious. Yeah. And, but regardless, he'd been sentenced to death. Yep. So she appeared at these rallies, wrote letters to the governor of Mississippi. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And Willie McGee was executed in 1951. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, I've read To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, it's very To Kill a Mockingbird, isn't well, it? Well, it's exactly that. Yeah, like, I think this is the thing. That story happens so much yeah. for young black men. Mm. I, like especially back in time but to be honest it probably still happens like it's awful yeah absolutely so another incident that occurred on this tour 1951 was a busy year for her mm. uh she was at a place called the stork club now if anyone knows the story of josephine baker you probably know this story it seems like the actual, like, huge significance of it is somewhat overplayed. Okay. Um, when her foster son, who wrote her biography, looked into it and actually got to read the FBI files on the case, mm-hmm. it seems like it was kind of blown out of proportion a bit. Okay. Um, but either way, it does seem to be fairly influential. But what happened was the Stork Club was a very upper-class place. Okay. And she went along with her companions. Mm-hmm. And the Stork Club had an unwritten rule to discourage black patrons. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, that's obviously at this time does not make it unique no. among such establishments. <laughs> it's like a housing allow- um, housing association. Yeah, pretty much. So 
as a result, Josephine gets treated appallingly. Great. And you know she's not going to stand for that. No. <laughs> so she calls out the club, basically yeah. says, you're racist, what the hell? Yeah. Starts causing a scene. In some versions of the story at this point, Grace Kelly who was also in the club at the time, comes to her aid. As in the Princess of Monaco? Yes. Was she Princess of Monaco at the time? Not at the time. No, okay. I think she was the Princess Consort. All right, fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. Um, the thing is that uh, Grace Kelly and Josephine Baker did become really good friends. That's cool. It is cool. I don't know why Grace Kelly is so cool, but she actually really is. Well, I think if you're an actor who, becomes, who then goes on to become the Princess of Monaco, it's just cool. I'm... I mean, it's more than that, though. Like, yeah. whenever you look into her life, you're like, oh. I suppose so. But yeah. anyway, we don't know if she was actually there for this story. Okay. Um, I think But it would make a good story it if would she make was. A good story. Because, you know, she was such a princess in every way. <laughs> yeah. But a person who was there was a columnist by the name of Walter Winchell. Nice. God, this, I, Why is everyone's name I absolute trash in the story? Know. I'm only just kind of figuring this out, <laughs> saying it all out loud. But yeah, that's mad. Anyway, he was there and he had kind of been an ally of Josephine Baker. All right. And when she was causing this scene, he just kind of stood by <gasps> and she called him out on it. Yeah. And basically said, why aren't you on my side with this? Why are you not angry? And ended up causing such a scene that basically they evicted her from the premises. It's possible the police were called. Yeah, I could imagine they would have been. But either way, Walter Winchell was pissed off. So... Well, I'm being called out. Yeah. This is so modern. Oh, I know, right? So what he did was he wrote a newspaper article about it. Oh my God. Again, super modern. Yeah, perfect. You you feel like he'd be saying... Josephine Baker tried to cancel me at the Stork Club. She's such a snake. <laughs> but yeah, he writes a scathing rebuke of her. Great. And also hints at the possibility that she might be a communist spy. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you know why I'm groaning, right? Yeah. Yeah, because everyone who's involved in the NAACP gets called a communist at some point. Like, even, like, way back in the 1920s, there was this incredible black leader, and he was called a communist, and he used to ride around looking like an archduke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, super communist then. (laughs) He was like, let's go back to Liberia. (laughs) I really, yeah, no. Oh, my God. Yeah. So things are getting pretty tense for her to the point that the Ku Klux Klan start sending her death threats. Oh, great. And she is, you know, she's branded a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. There's all these, like, conspiracies about her. Either she just ups and quits America. Yeah. Or it's also possible, in fact, it seems likely that her visa was also revoked. Because remember, okay, at this point, she's yeah. not an American citizen anymore. That's true. And if you're like, oh, this woman's a communist. Yeah. And it's the 1950s, and we're starting to get a bit worried about that. Yeah. Then, yeah, 100%. So she decides to leave America. She doesn't go back to Europe straight away. She does a little bit of a tour around South America. Oh, that's performing cool. Performing there. Mm-hmm. I mean... I love her so much. Yeah. She just like I love that she's just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm I love France, but also I'm going to do the whole of North Africa apparently. Yep. I'm going to do South America, why not? Yes. Oh. Uh, she luxury. does Yugoslavia at one point. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so she goes back to Europe for a time, but she doesn't stay there. Okay. Uh, well, I say, she, I say she doesn't stay there. She stays there for about 12 years. Okay. Um, and she continues with her performing. Mm-hmm. But in 1963, she is invited to another rally. Oh, cool. How old is she by this point? Uh, ooh, 1963, she would be 57. Okay, 56, cool. 57, All that right. sort of age. So yeah, mid, mid to late 50s. Um, but she was invited to give a, an introductory speech at the March on Washington, <gasps> headed by yeah. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I know the March on Washington. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's exciting. That's the famous I had a dream I have a dream, I have a dream. yeah. I Not li- I had a dream. That's just, that's just telling I someone about your night. Um, <laughs> oh, I literally, the reason I knew that immediately was because I literally just found a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. giving a speech today for one of my the one of my people's um, oh, fantastic just to be like this is what rhetoric is children ah super relevant mm. i mean yeah that speech is such a good it's example a of rhetoric. good example especially with like building up ethos which is i was trying to teach them the three elements of rhetoric so yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect so of course like she was concerned that, you know, she might have problems getting a visa. Understandable. Considering her last one was revoked. I mean, they thought Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist as yeah. well. Yeah. However, she has an ally in the Ooh. form of a fan. Ooh. The Attorney General, Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy. Ah! <laughs> Who basically smooths things over and okay. gets her a visa so that she can come back to America to take part in this rally. <laughs> She's supported by a motherfucking Kennedy. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like, I'm such a huge fan. Of course you can come here. <laughs> I love the idea that Robert Kennedy would talk like that all the time. Oh my God. Because he's just so woke <laughs> and such an ally. Yes, queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in America, uh, she's to give this speech at the introduction. Um, One of the kind of downsides, I suppose, of the March on Washington is women weren't really given a voice. Yeah. She was the only woman to be able to do a speech at all. And like I said, it was kind of relegated to just the introduction. Right. Uh, She did use the opportunity to reference other women who had been part of the movement, uh, including Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates. Oh, she referenced Daisy Bates. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. She also did the speech in full French military dress uniform. Incredible. With her medals. And the speech you can find, obviously, you can find the full transcript of it. And it is pretty long, but mm. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read out this paragraph here, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. And when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth. (laughs) And then look out, because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. Amazing. Oh my God, I'm going to have to use her speech. Like, I'm going to have to use her speech. You should. That's such a good example of ethos. Yeah, it's fantastic. Also, should we mention who Daisy Bates is? Yeah, And why it's really cool that she... So, Daisy Bates, uh, she was part of a group of people who basically ran a newspaper... Mm -hmm. Um, which was called the Arkansas State Press. 
which was specifically uh, directed towards black people and reported on things about racial inequality. Yeah. And she was actually instrumental in stopping segregation. That's really cool. Yeah. So There are always so many extra people that you've never heard of. Yeah. And I guess this is the thing, like, obviously in the UK, we won't have heard of so much American black history because why would we like yeah. we, it's a we, different hear, country. we hear the big names but we don't get some of the smaller names mm. but i think it does it does sometimes create this picture that everything is like a few perfect individuals yeah and it's it's always nice to hear a sort of extra person oh yeah absolutely and of course there are like there are loads of these stories like I, for the life of me, couldn't tell you any of the names of the people who did the sit down in the cafe, for example. Oh, true. But, you know, that was huge. Yeah. Like, those images are... So important. Yeah, and horrifying. Yeah. But anyway, she gives this speech. She praises other women. And I think it's kind of... It's one of those things that, yeah, it, the, the march was obviously for other things. It mm. would have been nice for more women to be included. But, you know... This is what we got. She addressed it as well. She's clearly very thoughtful about these things. I love how much her life passes the Bechtel test. Oh, absolutely. I mean, given that we know that she was supported in her early career by women, and then sort of late in her career, she promotes other women. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. So she kind of jams around America for a while. Good for her. Um, At this point, you know, things are looking a bit more up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it must have been it must have been a tricky time because yeah. every time anyone tries to do anything to improve their lot, people yeah. backlash against that. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I think at this time, she was definitely much more involved in the civil rights movement than she was doing anything else. She wasn't performing yeah. at this point. I mean, fair enough. She's like... She's she's close to retirement age. <laughs> <laughs> she performs almost till her dying day. I am not surprised. And but I can imagine taking a little break, like a holiday. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get more to that later on. Mm. Um, so, okay. This is one of the great things, though. Once she kind of finishes, do, uh, like, jamming around America, mm-hmm. she, of course, goes back to performing, because that's what she does. Sure, in Paris? Well, Ooh. she does a few places. Okay. One of which, and it's one of these ones where it's like, you're not helping yourself with those communist (laughs) conspiracies. Is it Russia? No, it's Cuba. Oh. So she was uh, personally invited by Fidel Castro (laughs) in January 1966 to perform at the Teatro Musical de la Habana in Cuba. Oh my God. But but wouldn't you want to go to Cuba? I mean, not only that, it was the seventh anniversary celebration of Castro's revolution. Amazing. And she did a show in April. Yeah. uh, And that broke attendance records. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet it did. Absolutely. But I just love this idea that Castro is just like... Josephine, I'm such a huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> oh. it's how, it's, it seems to be like just these people in powerful positions are yeah. just like, Josephine Baker, oh my, oh my God, God, I love her. But it, it, it's so interesting because yeah. all of these, like a lot of these people have got no reason to be like kind to black people. Yeah. But because she's a celebrity, she kind of overcomes that. Yeah. Which sometimes people say celebrities shouldn't really be speaking out on issues because they're not politicians or whatever but i mean there's, but, a, there's good historical precedent for it there's an amazing <laughs> historic like, and also it means that people from really specific backgrounds can have their voices heard yeah because they've got that position and if they do the right things with it then 
it's it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just having a little Marcus no, Rashford moment. That's you all know? right. <laughs> Everyone, every every month, I have to have a little moment where I think about Marcus Rashford and think things are going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So she continues performing. She travels around the world. It's uh, uh, in 1968 that she goes to Yugoslavia. She makes mm-hmm. appearance in Belgrade and Skopje. Um, where, where is Skopje? Is that in Yugoslavia? Uh, Skopje is North Macedonia. Oh, cool. It's the capital, in fact. <laughs> it's the capital of North Macedonia. Yes. Oh, man. I really... No, <laughs> I'm I know. so bad on that little bit of Europe. Yeah, I know. I am too. <laughs> yeah. But... Regardless, despite doing all this traveling at all that, like going to all these different places, she faces some severe financial troubles at this point. Mm. But fortunately, she has a friend in high places. Oh my god, again? That friend being Grace Kelly, Princess of Monaco. Uh, yeah, he's still alive. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So she basically gives Josephine a villa and financial assistance. In Monaco? I believe so, yes. That's so cool. To, until she sort of gets back on her feet. <laughs> Imagine living a life where it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm really struggling financially. And then your friend's like, hey, do you, <laughs> like, I've got a villa. It's in a gorgeous location. Like, it's a tiny country. It's all on the beach. Yeah. And, you know, just till you get back on your feet, you can yeah. just, like, hang out in a mansion. <laughs> Absolutely. What a life. Now, 1968 was also a big year for other reasons because it was also the year that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who I always love saying his name in full because Mm -hmm. it's fantastic, uh, was assassinated. And this is something I didn't know, which is amazing. His wife, Coretta Scott King, Mm -hmm. asked Josephine Baker if she would like to lead the civil rights movement. What? Yeah. Okay, why is Caressa Scott King suddenly in charge of the civil rights movement? Like, well, she's I'm, I'm not, just interested. It's just that no one is at the moment. Oh, right. So and she, I meant, like, why is she the person who, like, gets the no hand idea. on the crown, as it were? I have absolutely no idea. All right, fair. But I guess being Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife... Yeah, it gives you a certain exactly. clout, doesn't it? Yeah. And also, I'm pretty sure she did a lot for the civil rights oh, movement absolutely. in her own she right. She was a huge civil rights activist. But again, yeah. you don't hear about it because she's no. the wife of someone famous. Yeah, absolutely. So she asked Josephine if she wants to lead the civil rights movement. And Josephine kind of goes, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah, fair. Because, you know, it's a huge commitment mm. and she's still in this sort of spiral of financial difficulties. And also her predecessor just got shot. Yeah. So eventually she does decline the position. Mm. And, I can understand that. Yeah. And Coretta actually takes over herself as the leader of the civil rights movement. Awesome. Which, again, not something you really hear about, but, you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's really not. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, no, a woman was in charge? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh. (laughs) yeah so josephine continues to do as she always does and returns to her performing lifestyle nice uh she is hugely popular (laughs) i love how all the way through this has been like so she does this and she's hugely popular yeah that just basically seems to be her life yeah i mean I put up the banana dance, by the way, on the um, on the you. Twitter feed, and just like I saw watch... you put up two banana dances. <laughs> <did>. Thank you. <laughs> I put up her banana dance, and it's one of those things where it's like she is enthralling, actually. Oh, absolutely! 
Like, there's obviously all of the exoticism stuff, but actually just watching her, she's one of those people who just has, like, magnetism. Yeah. So I can understand why people would just want to watch her all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In 1973, she played Carnegie Hall and got a standing ovation. Goddamn. And in 1974, she performed uh, at the London Palladium for the Royal Variety Show. Really? Yeah, I've actually got a recording of that. Oh my God. uh, Which uh, I'll probably put a bit in the podcast here and you can have a look at. Sure. I tell you so much more Measure spell that you about matches my levels of French. <laughs> I think I think that's the song. She could definitely speak French. Oh, sure. No, French. 100% she could, but like, <laughs> that song is how much I can yeah. speak French. Also, people, you have got to watch the video for this because that is <laughs> like a really lovely Edith Piaf style song. Yeah. Like, it's a cafe song, really. Yeah. And then she's <laughs> she's wearing a full-on 70s style outfit, like, on ABBA yeah. but also with a massive headdress of like feathers yeah the that- feathers kind of add about 50% onto her height I would say so like she looks like whenever people do like exotic dance as in like you know from a different country like yeah. Cuba or something yeah she looks like that absolutely it's fantastic it's incredible uh, we'll probably end up putting a link on Twitter oh, we've it's, got, we've got it's to, such yeah. a good it's such a good performance yeah so you can see why even sort of, you know, later on in life, she mm. is fantastically popular. Like at that point, she was 66, 67. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I would definitely still go and watch her in a concert. Absolutely, 100%. Mm. So the year after, uh, on April 8th, 1975, she stars in a retrospective review Ooh. celebrating her 50 years in show business. Oh my God. Which is, I mean, it's a huge achievement. It's fantastic. Yeah. The show itself, uh, it was it was so popular. The demand for seating was so much that fold-out chairs had to be added to accommodate the extra spectators. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. The opening night audience included Sophia Loren, mm-hmm. Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. Shirley Bassey, <laughs> okay. Diana Ross, and <laughs> okay. Liza Minnelli. Oh my God. Yeah, it's fantastic. The show got rave reviews. Yeah. It was the thing to go and see. It was fantastic. Mm. Unfortunately, four days after the show, Josephine Baker was found in her bedroom surrounded by copies of these glowing reviews Mm. and in a coma. Oh my God. She had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage Mm. and she was taken to hospital, but she died later that day. Okay. This woman's life is like a film. It is. It's so like a film. It is. It is. And the thing is, like, when I read this about her death, I was like, 
That, no, she didn't. I, exactly. I like, was like, that is a film. Sorry. Like, she has the best, like, one of those beautiful, like, flashback moments through her whole yeah. life. And then she dies. Like, She's got what? her swan song. Like, She literally did. Yeah. And, oh like, she's God. surrounded by copies of these glowing reviews. Like, yeah. you can just see the shot. Like, the of shot that. of her, like, fading away. Like, looking at yeah. all of these things, being like, oh, my life. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. But, yeah, I, I've... I've Check this out in many different places, and it does seem to be true. Yeah. It's, so how how old was she when she died? She was sixty eight. Okay. Like I mean, it's tragic, but it's not it's not alarming. No, no, but still younger than it should have been. Mm. But if you're gonna go out, what a way! What a, what way. a way to go out! Absolutely. Twenty thousand people attended her funeral. Oh my god! The funeral procession was enormous. Yeah, and she was. Uh, she's actually, she was the only American-born woman to receive full French military honours at her funeral. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, after all, she was a war yeah. hero, a lieutenant <laughs> yeah. with all, all of the All of the distinctions. Yeah, absolutely. So we obviously come to the end of her story yeah. there. Now, her children went on to do various different things, including, I mentioned last time, one of her foster children who... Um, wrote the biography about yeah. her, which is one of those things where it's like, there's definitely a sort of hero worship element to it. Oh, sure. I mean, especially because they are all adopted. Yeah. And there must be an aspect in that of being like, this is the person who yeah. got us out of whatever system. I mean, especially just after World War Two, which can't have been a good time if you're trying to get adopted. Yeah, absolutely. Um it does seem to be, though, one of the better sources on her life because mm. being an actual member of her family, Jean-Claude Baker was able to have access to people and information that other people just wouldn't be able to get a hold of. Mm. Like, for some reason, the FBI files about Amazing, her. sure. Because obviously they had files on her. She oh, was a troublemaker. Of course they had files on her. They had files on everyone that was, you know, a person of colour that was interesting. Absolutely. they were like, what if they're a communist? <laughs> everyone's a communist guys um so so there's actually kind of recent news about her as well though she's risen from the dead happy halloween everyone (laughs) in may of this year an online petition was set up by writer laurent kupferman Mm -hmm. who asked that josephine baker be honored by reburying her at the pantheon in paris oh yeah and in august macron agreed do you know I'm not surprised? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe uh, she's to be interred there this month, November. Okay, wow. So, yeah. um, like a war hero as well. Yeah. Because November. <laughs> it, it it may be that she... Um, it may be that uh, they just put up a plaque to her mm. and that her body remains in Monaco. Okay. Where she is currently interred. Because of course. Because of course she is. Because <laughs> she was a close friend of the princess. Because Grace Kelly was like, oh, hon, I've got a grave for you if you need it. So, yeah, her life is absolutely mad. Like, it's been fascinating to do research on it. And it's like, she has a huge legacy. And it's like, it's, she's one of those people that's like, I'm so surprised I didn't know more about her. Yeah. Because it's insane. Is it, it one? Do you think it's maybe because she kind of counts as French? Like, we don't be. know very much about many French people, yeah. to be honest. I suppose that's true. Like, she is obviously part of the civil rights movement. But again, mm. we don't know that much about civil rights people either. True. Like, yeah. we know Martin Luther King. 
we know Rosa Parks. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, so the, there has been some attention. I'm not going to say she is like this complete unknown. Mm. I mean, there were a number of... Um, she's featured in various films and TV. Pre- I, th- I think she's in... Yeah, she's in the... This is going to be a controversial opinion. Go on. The dreadful animated musical film Anastasia. <laughs> that is a controversial opinion. Who does she play? Herself. No, no, no. Sorry, her char- her as a character appears. Oh, oh, oh. This was in '97. Yeah, sorry, she was long I was dead by then. <laughs> she as a character appears. Oh my god, she does! <laughs> I just remembered. I think she's got the feathers on. And apparently, she sings a song called "Paris Holds the Key to Your Heart." Sure, um, I, I don't know. I could imagine that. I think that Anastasia goes to Paris with the American guy who's trying to prove that she's Anastasia. Yeah. So yeah, I could see that being a thing. Yeah. We didn't get past the original song about how sad, how happy people were under the czar. I know, right, yeah. But we're not here to talk no. about Anastasia. We've been talking about Josephine Baker, and quite frankly, I think it's been great because, like, mm. I it, it does surprise me that there hasn't been a more sort of, like, dedicated film, like, blockbuster film about her. Yeah, it's probably because she's a person of colour. And mean, also because yeah. every once in a while you get these people, their lives are like a film. It's not made into a film because no one would believe that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like between her and I forget her name, but that woman who who impersonated another singer that we did earlier. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, she impersonated Aretha Franklin, but I've forgotten her name, which is really shocking. I know. That's dreadful. I've forgotten her name as well. But that that was a film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there, there have been ways that her name has been honoured and oh, Beyonce sure. actually oh, honoured yeah? her legacy by performing in a banana skirt incredible yeah that's wild scenes I love it I know it's great it's also one of those things where it's like I feel like a banana skirt like in terms of the shortness yeah is really shocking in the 1930s mm. it's not now <laughs> no it's not but you know it was to honour yeah. a pretty amazing woman very cool Thank you very much for listening to that episode of That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Now, we ask you to do this a few times a month, but if you could give us a little bit of a shout out on Twitter or any other social media that would be awesome and we'll be able to give you a shout out on the pod in exchange we really want to expand our fan base because we think we're doing a good job we hope we're entertaining you and at the very least we're talking about people that might not be heard of Mm. so yeah that would be great cheers thank you as always to kevin mcleod for our theme song anachronist as well as any other music that barnaby has put in the pod today and thank you for listening Now go out, invest in eels, and make films about Josephine Baker. Bye!